Sorry, I don't love you. A friend I've grown accustomed to. Cause with you, if something isn't wrong, something isn't wrong, something isn't right. Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. This week I have on my good friend Michael Verdino to talk all about Why the Last Man series by Brian K. Vaughn and hopefully I'm going to say this right, Pia Guerra? I think that's how you say it, but I'm not a good reference either. (laughs) Yeah, so it's a 60-issue series, which, you know, for comics that is quite a bit of a series and especially now that we see a lot of like the six issue miniseries or you know marvel and dc will start over every year it seems <laughs> or every couple of years so mike you recommended this to me initially so why don't we sort of start with why you recommended this and then go into an overview of it yeah uh um <laughs> uh, i have a weird little history with this book um when I was in college, I hadn't read it yet, and I had a, one of my best friends uh, had the whole series, and he had, like, like I have the trades that are, like, you know, four or five issues together, and, that, like, there's, like, ten of them. He had, like, yeah. the ones before that that were, like, even more broken up, so there was, like, 16 books or something. It was just something absurd. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> and, and maybe I'm remembering that wrong. Maybe you have the same ones. They're just really old editions, and then they were really crappy, but he, like, loved this. <laughs> and... I lived with six like there was six of us in this apartment my sophomore year, and we all read it over the course of like a week and a half. Like nice. every single one of us at one point was like that's all we did for like two days was read this, and it was just like really like frantic kind of like eye twitchy thing where like you'd always know who was in the middle of reading Why the Last Man that week because <laughs> that was the one who was like I haven't gotten sleep, I haven't slept, I couldn't right. sleep, I had to read the next one. And then I fell asleep trying to reread it because I missed some of it. Um, and and then there was there was an incident that occurred that one of my friends um, thought he was Yorick Brown one night when he was drinking and <laughs> uh, like ran away from a cop or something. It was this whole this this whole thing with it. And um, you and I started talking about comics probably like like probably like a year after you and I met. Like we kind of like started realizing yeah. we were both like read comics and stuff and um you were kind of getting back into comics and i had maybe beaten you by a year about getting back into it like i just found my local shop and i had been like really digging into to reading and i think i was like you should read this and you never got around to it here we are like what four years (laughs) later way way later yeah and you know i hadn't really been into comics much before that so i was sort of just like asking around anyone i knew who liked comics like some recommendations and stuff and then once i left drexel and got a job that's really when i started like buying a bunch of trades and everything and it's funny that you mentioned the more broken up series because from what i can tell there's those 10 volumes Mm -hmm. of you know like five ish five to six issues each and then they had deluxe hardcover editions. Right. They had five of those. And then they made those into the trade paperbacks for the five books, which that's what I have. Right. I have the five thick books. And now they're still releasing editions of this because there's one set to come out later this year for the Absolute Edition, which those are like the big oversized hardcovers. Right. 
so the third ab- third and final absolute edition is going to come out this July. So it's like this comic has had so many different releases that it's sort of hard to keep track of, you know, which is which. <laughs> I think um, I got my buddy Sam who got me into the comic in the first place. I got him a few of the limited editions one year for like his birthday or something. And when they were coming out and I just remember being like, oh, this is so sweet. They're putting in limited edition. I saw they're putting out more and I'm just like. All right, maybe we've run the ship a little bit to the ground because it's not been that <laughs> yeah. long. It's not like it's been like, you know, it's been 15 years since the last time we released something. It's like, you know, every couple of years we're just like, hey, man, everyone loves Why the Last Man. So. Yeah, I didn't even realize how long ago this came out either because, you know, the very first volume came out in 2003. Yeah. So obviously the comic started probably 2002 and, you know, because I waited and bought the paperback books, those didn't come out until a span of them from 2014 to last year. Right. So I just got finished collecting the books last year, which is a, probably another big reason why it took me so yeah. long to read them, because I was like, can you come out so I can just like have them all at once? And, you know, you mentioned your you and your friends staying up because you had to read the other one. With the five books, it's kind of nice because it's like if you take in a book a day, it's like that's plenty because it's, you know, like I believe the first book was, yeah, the first book was 10 issues and then it ranged anywhere from like 10 to 12 or 13 issues for each book. So it's like you were getting a huge chunk of the story at a time. And I was just like, yes, I love this. And I'm pretty sure on Goodreads, I gave it all five stars all the way across the board because I was like yes 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 I love this so thank you for the recommendation but you know before we get in too deep why don't we go ahead and give the overview of sort of what this story is all about yeah so um if you're one of the few uninitiated um which it if you're talking about comics and you're listening about comics you probably have read this story um it's one of those stories I basically um something happens uh, and there's a lot of potential reasons why. Um, and in one brief moment, every single man on the planet dies. Um, and the only man left alive is Yorick Brown, who um, is uh, kind of a loner. Um, he's got a pet monkey, and his girlfriend <laughs> um, is currently off in Australia. His mother's a congresswoman. Um, he's kind of from like that like kind of weird upper middle class East coast kind of family, very liberal kind of family. And, um, he's, he's just a, a kind of, he's really into, he's like really into magic and like weird quirky history, like Elvis and that kind of stuff. And, um, but like all weird facts about Elvis and none of the normal stuff and like weird Houdini <laughs> and all that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, basically for no explained reason, really in early on, he's the only man left. And, um, it goes through the story basically tells kind of the, the conflicting adventure of the people trying to figure out why he's alive and why everyone else died. Um, Yorick just wants to get to find his girlfriend in Australia. Um, and it, it evolves into a much bigger story about the different, not only the geopolitical kind of stuff, like all the people who are trying to find him, but also him going through his journey of like, fuck, I'm the last man. Like I'm the last, you know, literally the last, you know, pair of balls in the world (laughs) that can, you know, repopulate and all of these kinds of things. And suddenly, you know, this guy who kind of wanted to make nothing of himself is 
um, very significant uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, and that's the, that's like, it's kind of like telling the story of something that's way bigger than that. Like you're trying to explain, you know, like trying to explain Game of Thrones. You're like, it's a bunch of people who want, all want to have power. And then you go, well, it's way more complicated than that. But, <laughs> right. um, but yeah, that's the premise and it gets as trippy as it gets at times. It's one of the least trippy, long running kind of stories. I've read other Brian K. Vaughn stuff that gets way more into the deep end of weirdness. Um, this is definitely the beginning of where he kind of enjoyed doing weird, like dream sequence stuff and like oddity stuff like that. But, um, it's amazing. Um, I mean, if, if we wanted to end the podcast right there, we could just be like, it's amazing. Read it. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And obviously spoiler alerts for anyone who hasn't watched it going forward or hasn't read it. Although you will be able to watch it soon. So there is that, you know, I know Mike and I have been texting back and forth quite a bit about the TV show that FX is currently working on. And Brian K. Vaughn is actually going to be at least one of the writers for the show. So before we dive into the comic, though, Mike, are you excited to see this sort of come to life in a TV format? I'm as excited as I can be without being obscenely nervous. Um, because for a bunch of reasons, because there's people I'd really like, you know, like to see in the role, um, of Yorick and all the other characters, 355, um, Dr. Van, but there's also like, like we've seen, we've seen a lot of success for some stories that come into play, like Walking Dead that have done really well on TV and a lot of the fantasy series that have done really well. I also am nervous. Like there's that always that nervousness of being like, there's some of this stuff that you don't that you want, for lack of a better word, you want it to be able to uh, have its time to mature. Um, right. That it's not really a slow burn initially, but there's parts of the story that are really great because they are a slow burn um, and they take their time. And you don't want it to be like, well, we got to get to the next big piece of exposition. We got to get to the next big adventure um, that they have. But there's also... Uh, the comic is written in a really kind of almost TV-ish way at times where, like, you know, people, they'll be, like, they'll start a comic with, they'll be kind of, like, running away from something that they just did. Like, I can't, uh, there's a bunch of times where in the story they'll be, you know, like, like, they'll be running away, like, out of a warehouse or something that someone's shooting at them. And it's, like, <laughs> right. after something has occurred and you're kind of like, no, I wanted to see that. That sounds like fun. <laughs> but you know, what's really brilliant about some of the writing is saying, hey, well, the more interesting thing about these people is the relationship. And um, that's what I always really appreciated about two of my favorite TV shows, um, Chuck and Firefly, uh, that they would they were willing to make the exciting part of the adventure um, not be the main focus. Um, right. Where you'd have a, you'd have these little exposition episodes where it'd be like after a really interesting mission and then like kind of being like dealing with the fallout of it or dealing with the aftermath or just like ha dealing with the interpersonal issues they have after the big event. Um, and it's a comic and it does that and they don't, they have the choice to do that. And I hope that the TV showrunners can do the same thing. Yeah. And I think it does help that they're, you know, having Brian K Vaughn involved in the process <clears throat> since he wrote 
the story and everything. So I think FX does a pretty good job of sort of doing adaptations justice because I don't know if you've been watching Legion at all right now. I haven't. I need to. But yeah, that is like the show a lot of comics fans are talking about right now. And that's even whether or not they knew anything about the character Legion to begin with, which personally I didn't. And I've sort of started going back and reading, I believe it's X-Men Legacy, which follows the character and everything. And it's not, you know, exactly the same as the comics. And I think if they tweak a few things here and there, it'll still be a really good adaptation. But, you know, this is about the comic book. So maybe when this comes out, you and I will have to podcast about the TV show and sort of do a follow up episode here. But you mentioned, you know, in some of the issues, there's a lot of times when, you know, they're being shot at or (laughs) these sorts of things. And we even have, you know, that train scene in Why the Last Man where they're trying to travel by train and, you know, York is spending a lot of time pretending he's a woman in this Mm -hmm. just so they can sort of get from point A to point B. And I think what I really liked about this too was they took all the time they needed to find Beth. And, you know, in the last book, if you have the five collected editions that's when we see them find beth finally and it's like i'm sort of glad they let it play out the way they did because i feel like if they had found beth like you know halfway through the story or something it wouldn't have had the same effect yeah and i think the storytelling in this is always really compelling to me because um the it's this idea of like a slow burn like i think the real arc of the story is more about um, is is a lot about not more about but a lot about Yorick understanding uh, himself and understanding he like not maybe not his purpose but like where he stands in the world and and you know there's a lot of really interesting things that happen with this character there's the the suicide intervention that occurs um, with seven one one I believe. Um, Right. Who basically you kind of like early on, there's a lot of these little like hints. If you go back and read after you've gotten to that, that issue um, that York is essentially suicidal and was suicidal before he decided to leave his apartment when the, when the, the incident first occurs. Um, Because as you can imagine, everyone, half of the population dies. That's bad enough. Right. But knowing, having some sense that you're the last guy around and there's also hints that he did go out right away like early on to try to go find like a friend and be like hey man you and i both you know i think we both think this is well, something stupid that you and i did that kept us safe so it must have been you and he shows up at this guy's place and he's dead too and he right. like you know doesn't know how to handle all these things and so he starts becoming kind of agoraphobic and doesn't want to leave his house and and there's more kind of statements towards him like doing really rash and stupid things and hoping that someone's going to kill him, you know, so that it just be over with, because then we won't have to deal with all this bullshit of me being the last man. There just won't be any more and it can end with me and I don't have to worry about it. And, um, and it's a really, that's a really telling moment when, uh, 7-Eleven, one of the other culprit ring, um, agents basically, you know, intervenes and does this whole crazy, just, 
just absurdly wild uh, moment in the comic, and which is probably the first moment that I think you realize you're reading something that uh, the writer and the illustrator are ready to go crazy. Um, right. Up until then, it's very, um, the, the drawing and the writing is all very, you know, fixed in reality. And that episode, that issue hits and you're like, oh, it just took some LSD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there are a lot of those types of moments throughout, you know, you get the daughters of the Amazon throughout this too. And they always are bringing something crazy to the table, it seems. And then, you know, we have the astronauts mm -hmm. coming back too. And, you know, it's like York will get these glimpses of hope here and there that he's not the last man. Right. And then, you know, it's like they're trying to figure out what to do with the astronauts because obviously they were not on Earth when the plague hit, so they're still alive, but they're in space. Right. And it's like, as soon as they hit Earth, it's like, okay, how do we keep them alive? Because everyone else has died from this. And, you know, they just have these crazy moments. And then even later in the series with Dr. Mann and her family, which is a whole other yeah. <laughs> type of crazy. And basically York ends up finding out he is not the last man but he still ends up being the last man again anyway yeah <laughs> and then you know Dr. Mann finds out that her father had been cloning her and there's a bunch of mini Dr. Manns running around at various stages in their lives and it's sort of creepy and extremely forward thinking at the same time mm -hmm. so it's just one of those moments you're like okay this is happening towards the end. So where are they going to end this comic? And it's like, you know, they kept outdoing themselves throughout. And I think, you know, the way they ended it when they sort of jumped quite a bit into the future and everything. And, you know, it just ended with Yorick leaving. I think that was a really nice moment. And it sort of wrapped everything up nicely. Yeah. And I was actually, this is the thing I think I wanted to talk about most. There was like, there was, there's one other thing I wanted to talk about. We can get to that, but I think the ending. I, I just finished rereading it this morning because I was re-going through everything, and I kind of forgot how much I loved the way they ended the series, and not because I was like satisfied and happy and good with it. Um, I, I I tend to find that like the endings of stories I'm really into have a few possible ways they can go. They can be mm -hmm. super satisfying and super and right where I want them to be. Like they kind of fit into that pocket of like what you want to have happen. And you feel like you know where everyone's going and what's happening to everyone. And it's good. Like, you know, you go, okay, I like everything that all decisions that were made. And I don't think I need to think about this too much more. They've handed it to me and packaged it in a way that I'm like, I'm satisfied that I don't need to go out and like try to talk to someone else about like, Oh, what, 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 what about this? What about this? Um, for some people, look at me, will disagree with me. Like Harry Potter's epilogue does that in a lot of ways, um, kind of packages things up. It's a little bit too clean, but it's as close as I can get in my first brain, you know, thought, um, <laughs> right. You kind of go like, all right, cool. Like I know where everyone is. I feel like this is like, I know there's compelling stories I could go off with, 
but I could be happy right here. Um, and then there's also stories that I feel like wrap things up too nicely, and it's not very satisfying. Um, it's kind of like those fantasy series where, like, you know, at the last second, the idiot magician suddenly comes up with, like, the most amazing way to do something they've never been able to do before. And you're like, well, no, he's never been able to do that. Why can he suddenly do it now? Like, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's like, great, everyone's satisfied, but you kind of feel like like it wasn't that compelling of an ending. Um, right. This is that weird one where I'm not happy with everything. Like, you know, like not everything's the way you want it to go. I mean, one of the main, the biggest story beats at the end is, is to be completely spoilerish, 355 getting shot. And right, right after he figures out that Beth was going to leave him anyways and all this other stuff. And he finally is getting on the road to being happy and all these th good things are happening in the world and everything that could go wrong does go wrong, you know, like, and it's not satisfying the what happens, but it's satisfying the way it's told. Right. Like I'm, I'm very, there's a sense of closure when you finish reading this that you go, yeah, I might want to see some of that stuff. Like, I would love someone to just, like, explain to me, like, what happens with the government and the world. Just, like, I'd like to have Brian K. Vaughn tell me those things. But I don't need any right. more comic. Like, I don't need any more book in in this. You know? Like, they've yeah. given me everything I need in the comic form. I might just want to sit down with Brian K. Vaughn over coffee and just be like, and how would the world work now? Like, just tell me about <laughs> it. But I don't need someone to draw it for me. I just need someone to tell me, like, hey, what were you thinking would happen? Oh, that's cool. And then I could walk away. Um, but there's that thing of like a satisfying ending versus an unsatisfying ending where you're going like, no, 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 there's more story. There's definitely more story and you haven't told it all. What the hell? Um, right. And so I, I think that this is a great example of how you write an ending, even if it's not going to make everyone happy. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, we almost got two endings with this too. Like you mentioned 355 being shot, which I was not happy about. And I'm sure you weren't either. <laughs> no. And you know, then we get this sort of last issue that jumps into the future and we see Yorick sort of locked away with a ton of clone monkeys mm -hmm. and just there are clones of his younger self walking around and, you know, he makes his one last escape. And I think that was sort of satisfying because it showed that despite everything that happened to Yorick, especially that sort of first ending we saw, he still largely stayed the same and still sort of did things the same way he was throughout the story and I think that sort of ending is what made that so nicely wrapped up even like you said if not everyone is going to enjoy it necessarily right well it's kind of that thing where you go like at, at some point in every story like that everyone dies right like you know even if by old age or sooner Everyone in a story dies. It's, you know, it's still imitating real life. You know, if you haven't clued in, I'm a realist. People die. Um, <laughs> uh, so there is a, you know, like you kind of do want to, like when you read Harry Potter, there's, if you're really connected to that character, you really want to know everything that happens his entire life because there's something compelling about that. And exactly what is done really well in that last issue is hitting some of those big story beats. Um, and I think it's really intelligent. It's kind of like preemptive. It's like someone might go, well, 
wouldn't Yorick clone three fifty five? Cross that off the list. You know, let's 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 talk about that. Let's give it a reason why not. What happened to Beth? Yeah. Well, hero, weird. Um, you know what happens? <laughs> you know what happens to the monkeys? Like you know, nail that. Like what happens with Doctor Man and the research? Cool. How does the cloning thing start happening? Cool. And so that last issue does a really good job without putting you onto new story beats, hits you with a couple of key moments and shows you more importantly how Yorick kind of lives the rest of his life. And so you can fill in the details, but it hits the things that are going to be the most crucial to explaining the story and tying up loose ends. And and any story is going to have a few more things. Some people are going to lean into other things more than others. Um, but I think that's really compelling. And I think that it's really difficult to write that. Like, I think it's an incredibly challenging thing to do well. Um, and you also have to have, when you're dealing with a medium like comics, you have to have the, the mastery to display it artistically and visually in a way that people aren't going to feel like you're just hitting them with a page of quick text and dialogue. It's got to actually have, you know, visual clarity to it, which is, can be really challenging. And I think people don't realize all the time. And you and I have talked about this before with like, you know, one of my favorites is the flash and Manipool um, series where it's really difficult to draw the flash. And that's because of the powers with the flash, but it's also really difficult to, compellingly do dialogue in general that doesn't just feel like I'm drawing characters standing around and I'm filling up text bubbles. Um, you're, you're dealing with a very, the medium that needs to kind of have some ebb and flow and motion and action. And it's that last issue just works. (laughs) So. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. And the thing is with this, obviously this was meant to be these 60 issues and that was it. But when you have characters like The Flash, you know, basically any of the characters that Marvel and DC have, you know these characters are going to keep coming back for different stories and different storylines. So I feel like it's a lot harder to sort of wrap up a series like Why the Last Man than it is to do a run on the flash or Batman or something like that, because it's like those characters are always going to exist in some capacity, at least as long as, you know, we've known comics and everything like that. These characters have existed. What happens in the future, obviously is remains to be seen, but I can't imagine, you know, DC getting rid of Batman or the flash or even, you know, Superman, wonder woman, any of those main characters that have been around so long. Well, yeah, and I think the other part of it is that, you know, you're also not dealing with superheroes, the first thing, but there's, you know, the first beat. Yeah. But, but it's also that anything that deals with something, the incident at the beginning is going to at some point deal with the theme of, like, mor- um, mortality, you know? And and to have your characters not die and not deal with the bigger issue as, of if this is the last man on Earth, what happens when he dies? is almost a bigger deal than what do you do when he's alive? Um, Because that's, that's the much bigger concern is you, then you go, okay, I've got a timeline. I've got 60 years, right? Hopefully, 
where this yeah. person exists. And if I don't do something to make sure that when that 60 years is up, he's gone, you know, we, uh, you know, we have something to, to, to solve our problem. Well, that's the end of the line. Um, so at some point, I think it's almost required that you, <laughs> you have to let this person die or solve the problem of what happens when they do. Um, cause otherwise you haven't really, you know, more or less you've, you've handed someone, this is the, this is going to be one of the themes. This is one of the things we have to talk about is what happens when this guy dies and mortality in general, because his death could mean everyone's death. Yeah. And I want to sort of backtrack a little bit here and talk about the plague itself. Obviously when it first happens, no one has any inkling as to why it happened, what caused it, or anything like that. All, you know, Agent 355 and Dr. Matt know is that there's York and there's a monkey, and that's about it. And they're thinking initially, you know, the monkey is what kept him alive. And, you know, as the story goes on, it's like they sort of, they don't really start piecing things together too much until they see Dr. Man's father, but it's like they get little pieces here and there and Dr. Man sort of can advance on her research and everything like that. And I thought it was just interesting that they wanted you to sort of have that thought throughout the comic too. Like, okay, why do we still not know what caused this, you know, 40, 50 issues later? <laughs> and I think that was another thing that made it really well done. It's like Brian K. Vaughn gave you a certain amount of information to start the story and it was just enough to keep you interested throughout the whole 60 issues. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, in my book, this story is not about, like, in some ways, like, this isn't about the fact that, you know, what do we do? It's not about what do we do to solve this problem. It's definitely more about Yorick, his mental state, and the people around him that he interacts with, you know, and these, all these other people that are, you know, have to deal with this problem. It's, it's a very character-driven thing, and it wouldn't be compelling if it was just... Um, some some guy who happened to be the last guy who was pretty bland, kind of a frat bro, and was just like, yeah, man, get me to California, get me laid, let's do this, you know? Um, <laughs> it would be a much less compelling story. And so it ends up being that that's like, I don't want to say that that's like the MacGuffin of the story, like it's the thing they're trying to figure out, of like why? Because you never really, they never really confirm what it is. Um, right. But it kind of does act a little bit as a MacGuffin like that, like, okay, thing we're chasing is why and how to deal with this. But realistically, that's just the thing that's advancing the plot. It's not the actual story. Um, yeah. It's just kind of, it, it ends up ultimately acting as just a, a vehicle for a, like a, a more compelling story in a lot of ways. And I think that what makes it work is that the story beat is compelling Constantly, if you're not someone who's into literary comics that make you think about people and characters, there's always the the idea of, well, there's a plague and every man dies, so when's this guy going to get the girl? You know, that's really cool. Um, just like Firefly has always got the idea, like, Firefly is an incredibly character-driven show that could do an episode where they're all sitting around in the spaceship and they don't do any cool space things, and it would be really awesome. 
but it is ultimately a show about essentially space pirates. And so you can always do an episode where there's a heist going on and you can tell something very interesting about a, a relationship between two people. And the heist can be the thing that people who got like came to the story for, and then they stick around for the people and the mystery and all that kind of stuff. I mean, the, the main mystery of Firefly was, uh, you know, who is this girl and her brother and why does the government want this girl? And that's always there. But then you'd have an episode where they're just like, um, we're going to go rob a train. Right. And you'd be like, okay, cool. That sounds like fun. And then but in the meantime, <laughs> they're like talking about, they're trying to explain the character's relationship so that two episodes later, then one of them decides to betray someone. You're like, oh, well, back then when that guy got pissed about the other guy getting and being in charge, that's why he would do that. And it's all about, like, building this better understanding of who these people and these characters are. And I think that, I think, you know, I love character-driven fantasy and sci-fi stuff. And you do deal with that, like, that kind of, like, let's set you up with a compelling story. But then let's, let, let's make you stay for 60 issues because you like the people, the characters, and the world we've created. Not because you're going well, this mystery is going to play out real good in the end. Yeah, and I think while the story largely revolves around York and his situation, you still get these strong surrounding characters that really are what make the story worth reading. And, you mm -hmm. know, Brian K. Vaughn doesn't really beat you over the head with his political opinions or social opinions in this, but you still see glimpses of them because obviously there are so many industries that even today are still, you know, male dominated, especially like, you know, working in factories and that sort of thing. So all of these women suddenly have to not only take over all of those jobs, but if there's stuff they don't know how to do simply because of how male dominated certain industries were, they have to sort of just figure it out themselves. And we see all these little, I wouldn't call them encampments, but like these little towns and everything throughout where the women are sort of trying to make their own way. And each time it's like they're doing it in slightly different ways. So it just goes to show how much thought was put into even characters that we might only see for an issue or two at most. Yeah. Um, there was one, of I can't reference it because you're using a different series than I am, but when they were on the, uh, the ship that ended up being a, a heroin ship. Um, yeah. I, that was the only time where they kind of nailed it on the head, like really aggressively with the dialogue. Um, she's going down with the ship. Um, Yorick comes in and is like, you got to get off the boat. You got to get off the boat. And she was like, she basically goes, um, you know, at some point, um, you know, suddenly there's a man back in the picture and everything revolves around you and you got to save the girl and you've got to go with this, like, you know, tried and true broken dialogue. And, um, and there's a lot of little things here that I think if someone was to write, try to write this again, and maybe this is the bigger fear that I have about a TV show coming out about this is that a lot of the little things that they've done narratively, like kind of trying to make Yorick the damsel in distress in some ways, um, and making him the, you know, making him the, the minor character in a sense, like related relative to the world, um, but still super important and all that other stuff that 
a lot of shows have since done a lot of TV shows, a lot of books have since done that I think considering our current, you know, political climate and with the modern feminist movement that might seem trite or seemed a little bit difficult to realize, like this was one of the books that I think did this first and did it really well. Um, so that I, I, when I was thinking about this before we started talking, I was trying to think about how best to talk about that because it is a really weirdly, it's like a challenging subject to discuss without having someone else like reading the book in front of you. Um, right. Because there's some really great moments in this series that have to deal with the narrative reality of Yorick being the last man on earth. You have to deal with this fact that if that's the case in the world, Yorick's very important. You know, whether you want to admit it or not, very important. But the other side of it is that he's also not that important because there's only one of him. And so (laughs) if you're of something, you're of the belief that like, you know, only men can live, lift heavy things. Well, guess what? There's only one of them. So, uh, you're going to have to learn real quick that that's not true. And never has been. And so there's a lot of points in the story that I think in some ways do a really good job of stressing kind of that importance of we've made this character narratively important, but we're also trying to make the point of, yeah, but in reality, maybe not so much. Like you could have a society that could function ultimately, and that's what they show towards the end of it, the last couple issues, that society gets more and more functional as time goes on. that you could have a functional society without men. And the only reason why you're keeping Yorick around is because he has sperm. And even that's <laughs> kind of going to the wayside as Dr. Man gets her claws into cloning. Um, and so there's a, like there's the narrative element and then there's the non-narrative element that's like, let's talk about the, the realities of the world. You know, and so it's a, it's a weird commentary uh, because it's... I can see a lot of people overreacting to it. Um, not to say that I think that's a bad thing in some ways. Um, Cause I think that there's definitely parts of this that if you read just one couple pages of why the last man, you might get really upset with it feeling, you know, chauvinistic or, you know, disparaging of, of women because of the way they make a man, a centralized plot in the, a book entirely about really about women, but you could also do some really interesting things narratively to talk about that kind of weird balance that this puts you in. Um, right. And, and fantasy is all about showing you extremes and showing you empathy. Um, I, I really like, there's a great book that I read recently, um, Steelheart. It's a series um, by Brendan Sanderson that, not about women and other stuff, but like talking about extremes. Um, it's the idea is that uh, people start getting superpowers, but only, but it makes people assholes. So basically only bad people have superpowers. And it's really interesting because it's showing this extreme of what if only awful people were really, really powerful. And it creates this absurd reality this absurd situation but it lets you consider what happens when you give bad people power 
just in general. And fantasy is a really great tool for that, and comics and sci-fi and all these things, because it lets you create a scenario that's very extreme, because I can bend the world and reality in whatever way I want, and then forces you to deal with that, even though it's nothing like your own reality, I can give you a, an entire extreme that you have to reconcile with. And then you take back the moderate version and go, oh yeah, bad people with a lot of power probably isn't so good. <laughs> right. And I think, you know, even though York is a white man in the comic, because of the fact that he's the only guy left, it sort of gives this comic a chance to have a lot more diversity than we've seen in a lot of the comics, you know, from Marvel and DC. And this is a Vertigo title, which is part of DC, but it's, you know, the more mature section of yeah. DC, basically. And the fact that this comic started in 2002 and, and had this sort of concept of, hey, there's going to be one guy and a ton of women in this comic. And then, you know, Dr. Man is of Asian descent and Agent 355 is African-American. So right there, you know, just within that small group, he's sort of giving you this diversity right off the bat there for, you know, as soon as the plague hits. And York isn't like he he's not a manly man by any means no. and i think that's sort of what makes him more likable in this comic too because he's sort of bewildered by the fact that he of all guys is the last guy on earth yeah and you know i think the york we see at the beginning is very very different from the one we see at the end he still has sort of that snarkiness to him with all the jokes and comments he makes throughout and you know we see him slowly growing on dr man and agent 355 and i think you know they did a really good job of not necessarily being like oh yeah don't forget we have a white male as the last man alive yeah. <laughs> and well, I think just his characterization helps a lot with that, too. Right. And and so I think ultimately it comes down to this idea of you know, thing that's a lot more noticed right now in storytelling, especially on TV, is this idea of, you know, create stories that tell that are compelling, um, use characters that 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 show that show diversity. So we understand the differences um, between people. And make sure that you're making decisions that uh, that tell a story that is interesting, not a story that you feel you have to like that you you feel obligated to tell because it's what someone said. Okay, well, we should have this and have that. Right. Um, and I think that's maybe my biggest concern when we talk about the TV show is I am one. I am one hundred percent okay with like. Um, with, with, you know, changing genders and, um, ethnicities and all that stuff for TV shows, um, and casting, I think the ghost in the shell stuff is a load of crap and all of that other stuff that's been going on as far as like Hollywood casting is just ridiculous for these kinds of things. The concern I think I have is it kind of touching on what we a little talked about a little before is someone seeing this show today and going, and how do you make sure this show s seems relevant, like the comic was relevant and kind of ahead of the game in 
presenting some of these ideas narratively. Um, because there's a right. lot of TV shows that have put, have made a, a character that is, um, you know, flipped, um, in some way, uh, you know, or, or, like against their, um, typical narrative, you know, and I think that's the, that's the challenge is you've got something that could be, that was as ahead of its time when it was written, uh, narratively coming up with these great ways of telling stories a lot of things have done this since and a lot of great comics have done it since and taken cues and i'm sure a lot of people who write have written really great fantasy tv shows and such and books have taken cues from why the last man it's incredibly popular and what it did for narrative writing and fantasy and comics was really significant so i i think my biggest worry is you put out a tv show you do one season and everyone's like well, yeah, I mean, that's cool and all, but, like, I've seen this before, you know? You're like, no, you haven't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, the diversity in comics is a big discussion, especially as of late. And, you know, for me, it's hard to – I shouldn't say it's hard, but, you know, Marvel and DC have spent so much time developing – characters like batman and superman but what i think you know when people want this diversity they should probably handle it more in the way of what brian michael bendis did with spider-man where you have peter parker and peter parker stays the same but then you have this new spider-man in miles morales and you know you don't need to change the race of a character just for the sake of doing it when in the universes like marvel and dc there are so many of the same character with different names that you can just you know make a new character to have it be more diverse like how many robins has batman had <laughs> you know there have been quite a few and they didn't just go changing a single robin each of those times it's like you know all of these guys have different names and i think that's a good way to sort of more easily i guess incorporate that diversity because then you're creating new characters and you're hopefully making fewer people upset because you're not changing these characters that have been a staple and even a you know a character like Black Panther or Luke Cage, these characters Marvel created a while ago. And yeah. I think but they just need to keep creating new characters. And I know Marvel has done that with, I believe, Riri Williams being in the new Iron Man comic and everything. And she's going to have her own thing going on, I believe. So if you just keep adding characters to these stories, I think that's sort of a much simpler way to create these diverse characters that people can relate to and people can love and you know we've even had different hulks over the years you know you have bruce banner and then i believe the other one is amadeus show and it's like you don't need to just change things you can just create new things instead yeah and i think in some ways that helps i think the other part of it that's really important though is um making sure your writing teams are diverse. This is a big issue in you know, yeah. TV shows. You need to make sure that you have people with a lot of backgrounds. Uh, and that's not just to say, you know, racial diversity, just in general, you need a lot of different backgrounds to tell compelling stories. Yeah. Um, you need to acknowledge that the, the multi, 
the multicultural nature of, of the world that's consuming content now. Um, and I, and I think I agree with you to an extent. I think there's also instances where the other challenge is that, um, those characters that you create are awesome. Um, unless you're creating a character just to have included something that you don't have. Uh, right. and you, I think the reason why I like things like Riri Williams is it's saying it's making a statement of anyone can be Iron Man, you know, any, anyone can right. do this. And, um, you know, it's not being Iron Man is not being a rich billionaire white guy. Being Iron Man is all the things that Iron Man stands for and the intelligence and the creativity and, you know, what you stand for. And that is not just something a rich white man can do. Um, and so there's a really important statement to do there. Uh, there's also, but I, you know, then there's also like Miss Marvel, um, which is, you know, awesome. Kamala Khan. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, but there's an instance where you go, I'm not creating a new character. I'm, I'm, in a, in a sense, I, I'm adding. You're to this. repurposing the same right. title, yeah. Right. And that I think is really important. And this, I think that's where I go. I think it is important in some cases to put some diversity into the characters themselves, replacing them, doing things where you say, "Yeah, I am going to make, you know, Miss Marvel uh, a Muslim, and I'm going to do these things because." And the people who read these comics and read these stories. Um, are forced to to recognize what's the same and what's different. Um, and I think that's the really the big thing is, to me, is always about uh, acknowledging our similarities so that we can then talk about what makes us different and what isn't so different. Like, you know, it's like, great, we're really similar. You're like, cool. And you're like, and yeah, I got this one thing I do that's different than you. And it's like, well, yeah, but we got all that stuff in common. So we can still talk about that because we're not going to have a problem with that because like we're basically, this, we're, we're all chill. We're all good. And right. Um, so I, I think, I think there's kinds of a lot of ways to go about it and a lot of challenges that um, some of the challenges I totally acknowledge and understand um, suddenly making Peter Parker black um, doesn't really work. Like I get why someone wouldn't want that. Uh, but also, I also get why someone would be like, hey, man, why don't you make Spider-Man black? Like, I could also, I can also see how someone could be like, you know, the joke was like, um, you know, Donald Glover. Donald Glover should be Spider-Man. That whole thing where it's like, why not? Like, why not just say he's Spider-Man and he's Peter Parker? Like, what's the problem with making it with a movie that just says, okay, this is Spider-Man, he's Peter Parker, and it's Donald Glover playing Peter Parker? And the same, yeah. you kind of go like, I could see why you'd be as a comic book fan going like, oh, hell no, man. Uh, Peter Parker is Peter Parker. Everyone knows who Peter Parker is. And it's like, well, yeah, there's also a bunch of people who don't know who Peter Parker <laughs> is because they don't read comics. Right. And I think and they don't care. Yeah. I think my point was just that, you know, when these characters were created, it's like they were given very white dude names like Peter Parker right. and Bruce Wayne. So when you have a new character like Miles Morales, that reflects the character a lot more than yeah. you know just calling him peter parker and it's not that you know i'm not saying i don't want diversity in comics because obviously that is something that's great and i personally loved bendis's run on miles morales when he first did that story and you know i think if donald glover played miles morales i would be fine with that i would totally be fine with having a miles 
Morales Spider-Man movie. Spider-Man doesn't need to be Peter Parker in order to be a movie. And I think that's more the view I take. And, you know, like you said, with Riri Williams, it doesn't need to be a rich white man. Obviously, being rich helps with all the technology and everything, but it doesn't need to be a white man. And, you know, she is this character that's extremely intelligent and knows how to sort of create all these things and tweak the suit and do those sort of things. And like we said with Kamala Khan, she was given a name that fit her. It's not like she was just given this white girl name and, you know, well, yeah, no. that was that. I, I, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I think it's more that statement of, of in some instances, like I, the naming thing is kind of what I want to get hinged up on. It's more that idea of just being like, yeah. you know, you could tomorrow conceivably say, I want to make Spider-Man the next movie. And I want it to be about Peter Parker as everyone knows who Spider-Man is. And we could, it, you know, what name it is doesn't really matter. It's just, we're going to make a Spider-Man movie. It's going to be Peter Parker. We're not going to try to create a new story. We're going to use the same origin right. story. That's everyone knows and loves. And, and you don't even have to make it any more crazy than that. But I, I, I think that's what I get. I'm interested in. And I'm also like, I always like watching how people approach and, and worry about, I mean, we saw what was seen with the ghost in the shell stuff where Scarlett Johansson being, um, cast for a, uh, an anime that was entirely, you know, it's an, it's an Asian anime and you have something that, right. um, you know, you have someone that's kind of getting whitewashed and all these kinds of things that you kind of go like, hey, it's one thing to say like, great, well, she was the best actress in the room. And it's another thing to be like, yeah, but like, you're kind of appropriating a culture here. Well... <laughs> But I don't want to get too hung up on it because the other part of it is that as I came into this, as we were going to talk about this, I had a few things about like this kind of thing, like the ship discussion and that stuff where um, the other side of it is I'm also an idiot. So um, I could be wrong (laughs) about all this stuff and really stupid. um, And I just, I, I'm, I think like I said before, my biggest, most pressing concern about why the last man is a TV show coming out and it kind of coming back into the cultural zeitgeist is people going like, well, yeah, we've been reading these stories for 10 years. Right. And not having, not it getting the same appreciation that it, it did when it first came out. Um, which is a real shame because it's, it's brilliant. Uh, it's compelling. It's still an amazing read. Uh, it's, probably one of the few things that I would be willing to be the, the asshole in a comic shop being like, you haven't read why the last man, <laughs> what are you doing with your life? I know. I I know when you told me to read it, it was infuriating because I took so long to get through it. And, you know, I have so many comics on my shelf that I've bought and just haven't read because lately what I've been doing is I've been going to the library and checking out comics right. for free and in the hopes that I would stop buying them, but then checking them out means I have not been reading the ones right. I want to read or I own anyway. But I think, you know, obviously, I am very glad you recommended this to me because it was thoroughly enjoyable. And, you know, at times, I even forgot that this was like a Vertigo comic, because when I think of Vertigo, I'm thinking, you know, like Preacher and Constantine and those characters that are still, you know, within the DC universe in some capacity. And well, this it was just so different from 
it was so different from anything I had read before that it instantly sucked me in. And I know I mentioned possibly talking about favorite moments, but with 60 issues, I feel like we would probably go on for at least another hour if we did that, because there were so many things to like about this comic. And I know we just got way off topic here with the whole diversity discussion, but I think that's an important discussion too. But, you know, this story as a whole, it just put everything in a different light, basically. Yeah. Um, and and the great thing, I think the really thing that's really telling about this is that um, Brian K. Vaughan is just awesome. Um, if you're not reading Saga, you should be, um, which is what he's working on right now. Um, it's incredible. Uh, it's just a, another just brilliantly written, um, just just amazing comic series um and paper girls too paper girls yeah um uh, he's just he's just really good um yeah and <laughs> it's really important that you know he's one of those guys that you kind of go like i you know he just really understands the way to write um and image in general um which is where he is now um is fantastic um <laughs> Yeah, uh, I you know every I everything that Image has been putting out the last couple of years has just been really exciting and interesting, and I I think he has a really he's really tuned in to how to write um, good compelling stories that live well, um, you know, have a long lifespan, um, which is really which is really great um, and really challenging and. Uh, not everyone, not everyone can do that. Uh, so, you know, if you're not, if you haven't read this, you should. If you haven't, if you have read it, you're looking for something else to read, and you haven't read Saga, you should, you should go read Saga. Um, Paper Girls is great, um, and you know, go back and Ex Machina is great. Um, I actually haven't read Pride of Baghdad, but I need to, um, which is supposed to be very good, uh, but. And I haven't really gone back and read any of his early stuff at like Marvel and DC. Um, I, but I feel like that's one of those things that I should go check out. Um, but that's on the list. Yeah, I've read a little of his DC stuff. I think I read um, his Doctor Strange run. It, I think it was a mini series. It maybe was only like you know four to six issues, if that. Yeah. And it's definitely interesting to see him write these different styles because obviously with the superhero type stuff, at least Doctor Strange is more, I would say, maybe supernatural than a superhero because of the way his powers in particular work. He's not like a Superman or an Iron Man or something like that. But right. it was just definitely interesting to see how he writes these different stories too. And I believe I got three volumes in on Saga. I don't have my four through six volumes right now or any of them because I had a friend borrow them. So, you know, I'm going to have to wait to read that once she gets those back to me. But I did read the first volume of Paper Girls and it was very Stranger Things like I would say if anyone has watched that but has not read Paper Girls. It definitely had a similar vibe to it, even though it was probably a little more sci-fi than Stranger Things was in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, sweet. I feel like we've <laughs> we've covered a lot of randomness and craziness here, which is good. Yeah, so I think that wraps it up for us today. And 
to our listeners, thank you so much for listening as always. And we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.